0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer, in for Stephanie Cox, here today's top stories. The biggest Republican names in the 2024 presidential race, sharing the stage for the first time. What candidates tell a conservative crowd as former President Trump is also set to speak? Saturday marks one year after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the president and VP joined pro-abortion activists while another group says abortion bans aren't enough. We'll take you there. Was President Biden involved in his son Hunter's questionable business dealings? Find out how the White House responds to the release of a whistleblower statement. The Supreme Court rejects a challenge to a Biden administration immigration policy that pauses the deportation of some illegal immigrants. We look at the ruling and U.S. officials say they may have heard the implosion the day the Titan submersible went missing. And the director for the movie Titanic says he wishes he spoke up sooner about the vessel. Almost the entire field of GOP 2024 contenders appearing together in Washington to address conservatives and evangelicals. What they say as former President Trump is set to take the stage tomorrow. NTD's Iris Tao has more. The Faith and
1: Freedom Coalition's annual gathering here marks the first time that some of the biggest names in the GOP's 2024 presidential race appear on the same stage.
2: We'll
3: take the oath as the 47th president and we will get to work on day one. Addressing
1: the conservative crowd on Friday where Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to extinguish the fire of cultural Marxism once and for all. Vivek Ramaswamy to end affirmative action in college admissions. Asa Hutchinson to
4: address the
2: fentanyl crisis in America.
1: And former Vice President Mike Pence who along with others highlight the issue of abortion to the many evangelical voters in the crowd
5: on abortion before 15 weeks as a minimum nationwide standard.
1: The gathering here also comes after the recent indictment of former President Trump. Some of the candidates here decry what they call the weaponization of the Justice Department.
3: They weaponize the Department of Justice against their political
1: enemies. That is wrong. But some others challenge Trump.
3: That is a failure of leadership. And I, you can boo all you want.
1: And I asked a former New Jersey governor who's running against Trump. And what's your message to those who booed at you and who support Trump?
3: I don't think anybody in that room can honestly say, given his conduct, that he's a person of character.
1: But of course, there were a lot of Trump supporters here, including Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, who endorsed Trump on the stage and got a standing ovation. Because Former President Trump, who's leading Republican polls, is set to speak here as the keynote speaker on Saturday. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD
0: News. Saturday marks one year since the nation's highest court overturned the Roe v. Wade ruling, allowing states to once again make their own call on abortion laws. Throughout the week, numerous lawmakers held events, either praising the ruling or criticizing it. Today, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris joined pro-abortion activists. Meanwhile, pro-life supporters are rallying in D.C. to put pressure on the administration. NTD's Melina Wisecup takes us there.
6: A year after the nation's highest court overturned Roe versus Wade, more than a dozen states have imposed stricter rules against abortions. But for some pro-life activists like the ones here today, that's simply not enough.
3: No, we must
4: take substantive action and treat this for what it is. It is the killing of a little human being made in God's image that deserves our love and our protection. This is a
3: serious, serious issue. They are using chemicals to murder innocent human beings.
6: Likening the promotion of abortion pills to the Holocaust, the group rallying in front of the Department of Health and Human Services popped 1,350 balloons to symbolize each time the pill ends a human life. The group calling for federal action against mifepristone as a federal lawsuit plays out over the FDA's approval of the drug.
2: It's an abortion pill that actually starves a human being in utero, and then the second pill, uh, misoprostol, uh, induces labor and injects the child out.
6: Meanwhile, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris are marking the first anniversary with Planned Parenthood and other groups in Washington, D.C. Biden is limited on what he can do to loosen abortion laws, but is expected to sign an executive order to strengthen access to contraception.
0: So we fight for reproductive rights and legislation that restores the protections of Roe
6: v. Wade, a move that is unlikely anytime soon with a Republican-controlled House.
1: Our unwavering, unyielding and unequivocal
4: support for
7: reproductive freedom.
3: We're celebrating the option to be able to be turned back to the
4: American people where it was before, to be able to make the decision about the value of every single child.
6: This, as a pro-life senator, continues holding up Pentagon nominations. Senator Tommy Tuberville wants to force the Pentagon to drop its rule, allowing paid time off and reimbursing travel costs for service members who travel for an abortion. That hold will continue into its fifth month, with the path forward uncertain. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News.
0: The White House is staying mum on released IRS whistleblower testimony. The testimony appears to undermine President Biden's previous remarks about whether or not he knew anything about his son's foreign business dealings. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has the details.
8: In a press conference Friday, the White House was asked about recently released documents that indicate President Biden may have been involved in his son Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings.
9: Does this not undermine... Uh, the president's claim during the 2020 campaign, and the reaffirmations of that claim by his two press secretaries since then, that he never once discussed his son's overseas business dealings with him.
8: The White House gave this response: No, and I'm not going to
9: comment further on this.
10: We're, to, we're I, I'm I'm not,
8: James, James, let me
1: just let me save you some. Let me save. Let me say. Let, let, let me save you some breath. If you're going to ask about this, I am not addressing. I don't, I know you do, more than I'd like you to have. I am not going to address this issue from this podium. I'm just not going to do it,
6: right. well, not going to do you. it. I just don't have anything to share outside of what my colleagues have shared. Uh, and so I would refer you to him and the D- and the DOJ, just not going to comment from here.
8: The documents released by the House Ways and Means Committee on Thursday contain IRS whistleblower testimony that refers to a WhatsApp message from Hunter to a Chinese businessman. The message states in part that I am sitting here with my father and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. The message urged the businessman to follow Hunter's direction and stated again that he was sitting with his father. But it is unclear whether or not President Biden was actually sitting next to Hunter. The reporter later asked this question.
9: "You stated." that the president stands by his comment from the 2020 campaign that he never once discussed his son's overseas business dealings with his son. And you stood at that podium and you reaffirmed that. Do you stand by your reaffirmation? The
8: White House press secretary said nothing has changed. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer has vowed to investigate if President Biden was involved in his son's business dealings.
2: There's a pattern here where the federal government,
5: The the deep state bureaucracies have turned a blind eye to Joe Biden.
4: Our job in the House Oversight Committee is to follow the money.
0: Arlene Richards, NTD News. The White House may be silent on this matter, but Attorney General Merrick Garland is speaking up. Today, he denied allegations that the Justice Department, FBI, or IRS interfered with the investigation into Hunter Biden. That's because it was led by U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a Trump appointee. Here's what Garland said at a press conference earlier today.
4: As I said at the outset, Mr. Weiss, who was appointed by President Trump as the U.S. Attorney in Delaware and assigned this matter during the previous administration would be permitted to continue his investigation and to make a decision to prosecute any way in which he wanted to and in any district in which he wanted to. Mr. Weiss has since sent a letter to the House Judiciary Committee confirming that he had that authority.
0: Part of the recently released whistleblower testimony alleged that the IRS and Justice Department had given Hunter Biden preferential treatment by interfering in the investigation into his tax evasion case. Hunter Biden and Garland have come under fire today after they were both seen at a White House state dinner last night, two days after Biden admitted to violating federal law. The two were not pictured speaking with each other during the event. The Supreme Court today rejected a challenge to a Biden administration immigration policy. Two Republican-led states had tried to prioritize the deportation of certain illegal immigrants over others. Here's why the Supreme Court blocked the challenge.
10: The Supreme Court on Friday blocked a challenge brought by Republican Attorney General from Texas and Louisiana. They challenged a homeland security policy from 2021. The policy paused deportations unless individuals had committed acts of terrorism, espionage, or egregious acts to public safety. The Republicans' AGs argued that the Biden administration should try to deport all illegal immigrants. But Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote in the opinion of the court that the Biden administration has to prioritize enforcement, saying... That is because the executive branch invariably lacks the resources to arrest and prosecute every violator of every law. The court decided 8-1 to block the challenge. The justices ruled that individual states can't challenge federal immigration policy, saying, This court has long held that a citizen lacks standing to contest the policies of the prosecuting authority when he himself is neither prosecuted nor threatened with prosecution. Samuel Alito was the only justice to side with Texas and Louisiana. The Supreme Court has a conservative majority at the moment, but siding with these two states on this matter would have set a new precedent. It could allow Democratic states to challenge federal immigration policy if a Republican is back in the White House. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas reacted to the Supreme Court ruling, saying the immigration policy helps DHS to focus limited resources and enforcement actions on those who pose a threat to our national security, public safety, and border security different courts had previously paused the policy, it would now be in effect again after Friday's Supreme Court ruling.
0: Earlier today, NTD's Chris Beers got the reaction of Javier Palomares, president and CEO of the US Hispanic Business Council.
7: Javier Palomares, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate. It.
4: Happy Friday to you.
7: Happy Friday. Javier, the Supreme Court recently ruled eight to one in favor of the Biden administration's immigration guidelines that essentially prioritize the removal of certain non-citizens over others. What do you make of that decision?
4: You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in support. I, I agree with the Supreme Court and I, uh, I commend the Biden administration for prioritizing. You know, this is a very complex issue that we have in immigration reform, but prioritizing the removal of those that we believe are here to do us harm, uh, uh, you know, I think is is a is a great step in the right direction, and I'm in complete support of the Biden administration's uh, approach to doing so.
8: Now, what about
7: his uh, recommendations specifically, his guidelines? What do you think about them?
4: Well, I think the guidelines uh, again are a step in the right direction. You know, nobody is going to have the panacea that that some have hoped for when it comes to immigration reform. Uh, as a business person you know, in in an organization that represents the American small business community, what we want to see is uh, first progress and and very importantly, collaboration. So in in terms of of progress and steps in the right direction, uh, I I think putting things in order and prioritizing uh, how we attack this very complex issue uh, is important. And, And I'm in support. The association is in support of the administration's approach to doing this.
7: So you're good on it. Now, before our interview here, we were talking about Biden's policy versus Trump's policy uh, on deportation. You were saying they're pretty similar. Can you compare and contrast for us?
4: You know, I think it's 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 nomenclature. Uh, What's important and different here is that I see a a a prioritization. You know, as a business person, we're always solving complex challenges, complex issues. And what's clear to me, after many many years of being at this, is you you, you, you got to start somewhere, and you can't start everywhere. you got to begin at the beginning. you got to solve a problem by break, breaking down the, the component elements of it and then attacking one by one all of these elements. And what I see here is a prioritization, and I'm in agreement with that. I think you, you begin with those that you think might be here to do harm, and uh you know focus what are very limited resources if you really think about it for a country of our size um, and going after those that we think uh, are up to no good that's the way to begin and uh and i and i commend the administration for being clear minded about it in the way they're approaching it right now
11: it's almost like a type of
4: triage absolutely um and again you know this is a complex issue uh YOU KNOW, IN MY MIND, uh, THIS HAS BEEN A PROBLEM THAT HAS uh, ELUDED a RESOLUTION FROM REPUBLICAN AND DEMOCRATIC uh, uh, ADMINISTRATIONS. THE FACT OF THE MATTER IS, IMMIGRATION ISN'T GOING ANYWHERE. THIS ISSUE WILL CONTINUE. AND IT'S NOT A, YOU KNOW, I DON'T SEE IT AS A REPUBLICAN ISSUE OR, or A DEMOCRAT ISSUE. IT'S AN AMERICAN CHALLENGE. AND WE, we NEED TO COME TOGETHER AS A NATION uh, and and start to solve this issue. What I see in in the moves that the administration has recently put into place is a prioritization, is a seriousness, other than just dialogue, other than just rhetoric and political promises. I see a breaking down of a very complex issue, and beginning with you know again what I think is the right start is get rid of those or or pinpoint those, focus our limited resources on getting rid of those that we think are here. Uh, interrupt to no good.
7: Javier Palomares, president and CEO of the U.S. Hispanic
4: Business Council. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. You too.
0: The director of the Titanic film is reacting to the submersible that imploded and killed all five on board. He says he wished he voiced his concerns earlier.
12: Movie director and submersible maker James Cameron said on Thursday, he wishes he had sounded the alarm earlier about the submersible Titan that imploded on an expedition to the Titanic wreckage. He says he had found the hull design risky.
5: I wish I had been more vocal about that, but I think I was unaware that they weren't certified uh, because I wasn't really studying it, I wasn't really interested. Stockton Rush asked me if I wanted to go out there and dive this season. You know, I wasn't interested.
12: Cameron became a deep sea explorer in the 1990s while researching and making his Oscar-winning blockbuster, Titanic. He is also co-owner of Triton Submarines, which makes submersibles for research and tourism. When he heard that Ocean Gate was making a deep sea submersible with a composite carbon fiber and titanium hull, Cameron said he was skeptical.
5: I never believed in that technology of wound carbon fiber, you know, wound filament. Uh, cylinder cylindrical hull I thought it was a horrible idea um, I wish I'd spoken up you know but i i assumed somebody was smarter than me you know because I'd never experimented with that technology but it just sounded bad on its face because we make pressure hulls out of contiguous material steel titanium ceramic acrylic
12: A 2021 video resurfaced of OceanGate CEO Stockton Rush saying he had broken some rules to design the Titan, citing innovation. The vessel lost communication about an hour and 45 minutes after it started the journey. All five aboard the vessel were declared dead. Two were a father and his 19-year-old son. In an interview with NBC News, the Pakistani college student's aunt said he was terrified about going and wasn't very up for it. But he went anyway because the excursion fell on Father's Day and wanted to please his father, who was passionate about the Titanic.
5: This poor, I mean, this father and son on Father's Day, you know, paid half a million dollars to go down in this thing. Holy crap. You know, it's just, it's just tra- tragic and it's horrific and it's unnecessary.
12: Officials later revealed that the U.S. Navy top-secret acoustic detection system had picked up explosion or implosion sounds within hours after the Titan began its descent. The location of the sound is consistent with where the wreckage was found on Thursday.
0: Now a disturbing story. Police in New Hampshire have arrested a former state lawmaker for distributing child pornography. Stacey Mary Lawton was the first transgender person in the nation to be elected to a state legislature. The National Police Department said they arrested Lawton on Thursday after responding to a juvenile incident and searching Lawton's home. The Democrat now faces four counts of distributing sexually explicit images of children. Lawton was first elected to the New Hampshire State House in 2012, but resigned twice over scandals. The former lawmaker has also had various encounters with police and has been arrested multiple times in the past. Coming up, the National Transportation Safety Board is asking tough questions about the Ohio train derailment. Was venting and burning the hazardous chemicals the right course of action? And we take a look at so-called forever chemicals. What's their impact on the environment, and is there a way to clean them up? We speak with a professor for a solution when we come back. Welcome back. The National Transportation Safety Board is asking tough questions about the train derailment in Ohio that left toxic fumes in the air. Experts are saying the decision to vent and burn the hazardous chemicals may not have been the right course of action. NTD's Jason Perry reports. This hearing is an administrative
1: fact-finding proceeding with no adverse parties. It is not our purpose to assign blame or determine the legal rights or liabilities of any person
4: or entity.
3: The National Transportation Safety Board, or NTSB, held a hearing on Thursday and Friday. It shed new light on the train derailment that left East Palestine, Ohio, residents demanding answers. And one question that was brought up in the hearing was whether it was the right decision to vent and burn the hazardous materials inside the rail cars. This is part of the video that was played in the hearing to show what led to that decision.
5: On the early evening of Saturday, February 4, one vinyl chloride tank car forcefully released burning vapor over a 70-minute period. This was the last time any of the vinyl chloride tank cars vented material through their pressure relief devices.
3: And according to testimony, the pressure relief devices later stopped working and the temperature of the rail cars continued to rise.
5: The incident commanders ultimately scheduled a controlled vent and burn of the five vinyl chloride tank cars, which they determined was their last available mitigation option to avoid the risk of catastrophic tank failures that could have propelled fractured tank parts into residential areas.
3: However, other experts at the hearing said the rail cars were not undergoing a chemical reaction that would have caused them to explode. East Palestine Fire Chief Keith Drabeck, who was a first responder to the scene, gave the reasoning behind the decision to vent and burn. Even on a decision as challenging as the decision to vent and burn, it was a team decision. Everyone from our governor, Mike DeWine, to local officials contributed their voices to that discussion. And in the end, The decision to vent and burn was agreed to without dissent as the least bad option. Another safety issue brought up at the hearing was the inspection of rail cars. Jason Cox with the Transportation Communications Union said that the rail car that caused the derailment was not inspected by Norfolk Southern. Cox added that a detailed inspection by a carman might have caught the problem and prevented the derailment. NTSB Chair Jennifer Homendy vowed to ensure accountability and proposed new safety recommendations following the investigation. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: The portion of Interstate 95 in Philadelphia that collapsed nearly two weeks ago is reopening and
10: ahead of schedule. This road is being opened because it's completed, it's safely completed, and it's ready for traffic. And I don't think the people of Philadelphia want to wait one more minute to put a vehicle across 95.
0: Pennsylvania Governor John Shapiro announced that six lanes of northbound Interstate 95 reopened to motorists today. The Philadelphia Fire Department led the first vehicles across the section of the repaired highway, a section of northbound I-95 through the city was damaged in a tanker truck accident on June 11th. The repair was completed ahead of schedule, partly due to help from the Pocono Raceway. It provided a truck-mounted jet dryer to speed dry the asphalt. Crews have been working around the clock in rainy and hot weather on the reconstruction. The Transportation Department said work will continue on rebuilding the outer sections of the interstate's permanent bridge. Chemical manufacturer 3M recently agreed to pay $10.3 billion to settle lawsuits over the contamination of U.S. drinking water with so-called forever chemicals. These compounds used in firefighting foam and many consumer products do not degrade naturally. How do these chemicals harm the environment and can they be removed? Earlier today, we spoke with Professor Majid Mussani of the University of British Columbia for a closer look at the problem and a solution. Professor Majid Moussani, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. To begin, what's your assessment of this $10.3 million settlement by 3M, and were the allegations against 3M backed up, in your opinion?
13: Well, I mean, clearly, the 3M and other companies that have been producing uh, uh, PFAS, or um, Forever Chemicals, have some responsibilities to take and, and so this perhaps is a step in the right direction. I am not in a position to, to judge whether it's, it's appropriate or the level is appropriate or not, but certainly uh, these chemicals have been produced uh, by 3M and other companies for decades and as a result of the usage, they have found their way into our drinking waters.
0: And zooming in on these Forever Chemicals, what impact do they have on the people and the environment?
13: Well, um, there are thousands of PFAS uh, that are uh, out there and many of them are uh, being used in our day-to-day products uh, that we use. Uh, So as a result of the, the widespread Usage, they find their way into um, our drinking water. Uh, so, one way that we um, get exposed to PFAS is through drinking water. It's not the only way, uh, but the challenge is that since we drink the water, uh, most of the PFAS that is in water is absorbed in our body and it finds uh, its way into our blood. So, and these are, as the name says, forever chemicals. So they last for a very, very long time in our bodies, in our blood, and they have some negative health impacts.
0: And in terms of the water, what is the scope here of the Forever Chemicals in the
6: water?
13: Well, many drinking water supplies in the U.S. and throughout the world have been contaminated or known to have been contaminated by PFAS. Um, it is estimated that in the U.S., there are at least around five to six thousand communities. Um, their water has been uh, affected and are going to be needing to uh, treat for forever chemicals uh, when the EPA's rule uh, comes into effect. Um, so, the challenge is significant and. Uh, these chemicals uh, are very hard to remove and very hard to break down because the way they are structured, the carbon fluorine bond is one of the strongest in nature uh, and it's man made. So it's, it's not very easy to break it down. So once you produce it, uh, they can last for a very long time. And that's why the name Forever Chemical comes. So removing them from water is, is quite challenging.
0: And in terms of that, do you see this 3M settlement playing into that? Will it get better down the road?
13: Well, one thing is that 3M uh, promised to phase out the use of uh, PFAS in, uh, in, in all of their products. Uh, so that that's one thing. So once we remove the production and we remove the usage in our, um, our consumer products, our day-to-day products, that's the first step. So we need to remove the source. Now, as a result of decades of the usage of uh, foreign chemicals, they are currently in our environment, they are currently in our water, they are in our bodies. So we need to gradually address that. When it comes to drinking water, uh, there are technologies that are being developed and hopefully uh, with that settlement and other resources that uh, are being provided by the government, municipalities and utilities and even individual citizens can take steps uh, to remove that from their water and be able to enjoy safer water uh, that is PFAS-free.
0: And Professor, on that note, you're actually making a filtration device that can permanently remove these forever chemicals. Tell us about that and how far along it's come.
13: Well, we've been working um, on, on this for, uh, for a number of years. And uh, so what we came up with uh, are these new absorbing media or materials uh, that you find uh, even uh, similar to those that are found in our uh, home use uh, pitchers that uh, people use uh, for their uh, water treatment. So these media or materials, which look like grains of sand, Uh, have the capacity to remove a wide range of PFAS. And again, when we talk about forever chemicals or PFAS, these are not one or two types of chemicals. There are thousands of those. So to be able to remove all of those that are in the water effectively, it's challenging. So our media uh, has demonstrated that they have that capability to remove these wide range of chemicals quite effectively. And not only that, once we capture them, then we are able to uh, somehow strip the PFAS out of these media um, and make those media such that they can be safely disposed or uh, reused um, uh, for the removal of PFAS. So we don't generate secondary contamination or secondary solid waste that need to be landfilled.
0: Sounds like your invention can't come soon enough. And Professor Musseni, thank you so much for your time.
13: Thank you very much.
0: More and more credit card issuers have been asking people for their updated salary information. You don't have to give it to them, but should you? NTD speaks to two people who have opposing views on the matter.
7: Credit card companies are asking their customers more and more for sensitive salary information. Analysis firm Competiscan says emails and letters asking for this info rose by over 500% over the past three years.
1: A lot of my credit cards are with Chase, and Chase did ask me recently about this new update on my income information.
7: Chase customer Jasmina Zhang says her card issue were asked in a fairly gentle way. She didn't feel like she was being pushed to answer.
1: It's optional because the government, they don't allow credit card companies to forcefully ask their customers this kind of question. But yeah, I guess it does depend on the credit card company on how they phrase this kind of question because sometimes it could feel like you're being pushed.
7: Zhang says that it's a good idea to give them your salary amount if it increased because the card issuer might increase your credit limit. On the flip side, if she were laid off, and she says she probably wouldn't answer the question because the card issuer might lower her credit limit. But not everyone agrees. If uh, a credit card company um, or any bank is going to need that info, you know, they're going to need it. And, and they have a right to it, um, especially if they're, you know, um, extending money to you. Joe Camarado is the CEO of National Business Capital, a firm that, like credit card issuers, makes loans. He says lenders are really on top of this because of the current economic environment. Right now, you want to be, I think, really careful with making sure you're not late in any payments and also showing that you're capable of paying down your balances and um, not letting those balances build. Camberato says that in addition to salary, card issuers are also looking at other variables, such as how much debt you have. They put these variables into a formula to determine how much credit to give you. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: Coming up, for the first time ever, the United States is filing charges against Chinese fentanyl manufacturers. This comes as reports of fentanyl-related deaths nearly doubled in one California county. And the head of a Russian paramilitary group is saying the nation was deceived into the war. He's calling for an armed rebellion to oust Russia's defense minister. Meanwhile, a new report finds that a Chinese firm made two large shipments of gunpowder to Russia. That and more when we come back. Welcome back. Today, for the first time ever, the U.S. filed charges against Chinese fentanyl manufacturers. NTD's David Lamb spoke to officials in Silicon Valley, where county officials report a spike in fentanyl-related deaths.
11: On Friday, the U.S. Justice Department filed charges against four Chinese chemical manufacturing companies and eight individuals, alleging they illegally trafficked the chemicals used to make
4: fentanyl. These companies and their employees knowingly conspired to manufacture deadly fentanyl for distribution in the United States.
11: The indictments mark the first time the United States has sought to prosecute any of the Chinese companies responsible for manufacturing the precursor chemicals used to make the synthetic drug. Several of the companies mentioned were Hebei Amarvel Biotech and Anwei Runcheng Technology. Prosecutors said the companies, including one called Hubei Sinaloa Trading Co, advertised on social media platforms in Mexico and the U.S. They then used false customs forms, mislabeled packages, and masking molecules to ship the chemicals by
4: boat and air. Upon receipt of the shipment, however, the purchaser is able to easily remove the masking molecules and return the chemical to its original form as a fentanyl precursor.
0: It breaks new ground by attacking the fentanyl supply chain at its origin.
11: Meanwhile, California's Santa Clara County reported fentanyl deaths doubling in May from 17 to 41.
6: What we have seen is we have seen a number of deaths, particularly in the 20 to 39-year-old age group, Uh, We have also seen uh, fentanyl-related fatalities involving the adolescent age group. We have seen uh, fentanyl fatalities uh, involving both powder forms of fentanyl as well as fake pill forms.
11: Dr. Michelle Jordan said the county, during investigations, had found remnants of fake pills on scene. So within my office,
9: we
4: are prosecuting people who uh, traffic fentanyl, and specifically those people who uh, sell fentanyl all that results in somebody's death? You know, our, our my office has already filed three murder charges, and you know we will continue to uh, file those those kinds of cases as the uh, evidence sort of um, presents itself for those types of cases.
11: The deputy D.A. said, aside from the law enforcement side. The county is trying to take a holistic approach by providing the drug reversal spray Narcan to the community, as well as finding treatment for those suffering from substance use disorder. In Santa Clara, California, David Lamb, Entity News.
0: Next, in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the head of a Russian paramilitary group is saying that Kiev never wanted to attack Moscow. And a new report found that a state-backed Chinese firm has shipped gunpowder to a Russian munitions factory. NTD's Sam Wong brings us the latest.
9: As the war in Ukraine continues, the chief of Russia's Wagner mercenary group
7: maintains a mind of his own. Ukrainian armed forces push back the Russian army. We wash ourselves in blood. Nobody brings reserves. There is no management. Yevgeny Prigozhin, The
9: group's founder
7: is known for his fierce criticisms
9: of the Kremlin's leadership. He's now pointing a finger at the nation's defense ministry, saying that Russia was dragged into a war under false pretenses and that President Vladimir Putin is
7: among those who were deceived. The defense ministry tries to deceive the public, the president, and tells a story that there was crazy aggression from the Ukrainian side and that they, Ukrainians, were going with the NATO alliance to attack us. Therefore, the so-called special operation of February 24th was started for other reasons. Prigozhin has previously defended the war in Ukraine, but he maintains critical stances towards Russia's top
9: military brass. And sometimes, those stances can trigger actions. The Wagner group captured the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut back in May, but immediately began to withdraw its forces just days after the seizure. Prigozhin said that his men were exhausted and ready to hand the territory over to regular Russian troops. That's despite the fact that Russia's military was already running low on manpower. As Prigozhin's statements made headlines, thousands of pounds of gunpowder made their waste unchecked over the China-Russia border. According to a new report by Import Genius, railroad cars loaded with smokeless powder made two separate deliveries last year to the Barno cartridge plant, a Russian munitions factory. And those shipments were enough to supply the Kremlin with 80 million rounds of ammunition. The gunpowder was sent by Poly Technologies, a Chinese state-owned company previously sanctioned by the U.S. for providing weapons to Iran. Washington has long expressed concerns over the possibility of China sending lethal assistance to Russia's military. This latest finding raises new questions regarding Beijing's involvement in the Russia-Ukraine war. Sam Wong, NTD News.
0: And this just in, the owner of the Wagner Group has escalated his direct challenge to the Kremlin. He's calling for an armed rebellion aimed at ousting Russia's defense minister. He's accusing the defense ministry of ordering a rocket strike on Wagner's field camps in Ukraine, an accusation that the Kremlin denies. In response, Russia's security services open a criminal investigation into Prigozhin. In Europe, a schism is currently forming over the question of which energy to develop. Germany is defending renewable energies like wind and solar, while France is advocating for nuclear energy. The increase in energy prices has made this question even more divisive. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the story.
14: Germany is interfering in other European countries, and in France in particular, to push for certain sustainable energies to the detriment of any other alternatives. This is the conclusion of the School of Economic War think tank in a report published on Friday. It refers to powerful political lobbies, such as Heinrich Bull and Rosa Luxemburg. In total, those two received 500 million euros from the German government, specifically to lead operations of influence in other countries. The overarching goal is to undermine the nuclear sector in France and subvert public opinion against it. Since the war in Ukraine, Germany has been in a tough spot because of its dependency on Russian gas. The country couldn't compete with France's more developed nuclear capabilities. And since the beginning of the year, France has been building a pro-nuclear alliance in Europe. Policy analyst Fabien Bouglis has written several books on the topic of renewable energies.
7: At the moment, I'd say we're in more of an institutional stalemate in Europe. We're seeing an extremely powerful alliance led by Germany, Denmark, Austria and Luxembourg, which wants to impose its renewables industry on France, which has made a nuclear alliance and which wants to develop a nuclear-based decarbonized energy.
14: The push for renewable energy sources like solar and wind in Europe mirrors the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. The EU Commission wrote that its green
7: industrial plan is an answer to the U.S. policy. The European Union is totally loyal to the German renewable energy lobbies, as is part of Biden's government. And the answers the EU wants to provide are answers in the energy transition based on intermittent energies.
14: On the other hand, some EU countries have chosen to go the nuclear way. Bouglet says this is eventually a question of the cost of production.
7: That's the whole point. What do we want to do at a European level to lower the cost of energy and the cost of electricity? As we saw just recently, Finland installed a nuclear reactor. This reactor alone brought down the spot price of electricity in Finland by 75 percent.
14: Bougli says relying on renewable energies is a major risk for a country's economy. Last year, France's foreign trade deficit plunged to a 164 billion euro record. One reason for that is the price of energy, but also the government's choice to fund the renewable industry.
7: This is a hidden truth. If we don't urgently roll out a nuclear project in France, we're going to sink. We're going to sink into financing renewable energies that serve no purpose, and we're going to totally undermine our competitiveness. So it's extremely urgent that France gets back on its feet in this respect. David Vives, NTD News, Paris.
0: Coming up in hockey news, the NHL is changing their Pride Night events after seeing multiple players opt out. And a tech startup company unveils its new headquarters in upstate New York. Genjing World is dedicated to creating a clean and wholesome online environment. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. Welcome back and now for your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with an update on the NHL's Pride Night plans.
2: That's right, Tiff. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has announced that Pride-themed jerseys won't be worn by players on the ice anymore. Said Bettman, quote, all of those nights will continue. The only difference will be is we're not going to change jerseys for warm-ups because that's just become more of a distraction from really the essence of what the purpose of these nights are. Numerous teams held Pride nights throughout last season, although not all players were on board with wearing the Pride-themed jerseys. Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov was one of the more outspoken ones, declining to wear one last January while citing his Christian beliefs. Provorov, who said he respected everybody's choices, then saw his own jersey sell out in multiple stores online afterward as fans seemingly rallied behind his lead. And in Olympic news, the Court of Arbitration for Sport has announced that the doping case for figure skater Kamila Valieva from last year's Olympics will finally be heard from September 26th through the 29th. Valieva led Russia to gold in the team competition before it was announced that the 15-year-old had tested positive for a banned heart medication a few weeks earlier. The hearing could finally determine whether Russia's win will be upheld. The United States finished runner-up in the competition With Japan finishing third, though no medals have been awarded now more than 500 days after the competition. Now, The World Anti-Doping Agency, as well as Russia's Anti-Doping Agency, appealed earlier rulings on this case to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, though with very different recommendations. WADA is seeking a four-year ban and disqualification from the Olympics, while Russia's Anti-Doping Agency is recommending a reprimand while keeping their gold medals. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, 14 baseball games are on, including a matchup of the two hottest teams in the game, as the Cincinnati Reds, who've won 11 in a row, host the Atlanta Braves, who've won eight straight themselves. And that's it for your sports news today. Tiff, over to you.
0: Genjing World is a tech startup company that's dedicated to creating a clean online platform. The company held its grand opening of its new headquarters in Middletown, New York on Thursday. NTD was there.
10: Three, two, one. Tech company Ganjing World Corporation had its grand opening and ribbon-cutting ceremony for its new headquarters in Middletown, New York on Thursday. This comes just ahead of the online platform's one-year anniversary. The director of Media Relations at Ganjing World, Nick Janeki, tells NTD what the company is all about.
9: So the idea is to have a video platform that is clean, and what we mean by that is it's like G-rated. So the easiest way to think about this is there's R-rated movies, PG-13 movies, and then there's G, which is for general audiences. And so the idea is it's free from violence, harmful content, erotic content, or criminal content. So it's a great family-friendly platform.
10: Konecki says one of the unique features of Ganjing World is that it uses non-addictive algorithm to protect users from endless scrolling. The company also says it collects the minimum of user data compared to other platforms and stands against the sale of user data.
9: And we're starting with values first. So the easiest way to put this is that the mission is to empower people through technology to reconnect traditional values and divine culture in daily life. So that's the starting point. So I think where a lot of tech companies have gone wrong is they started with the technology and they forgot about the values.
10: The grand opening features a range of VIP guests, including company executives, online influencers and local politicians. The uh, ability for this facility to really create an environment that's a safe haven for young people to go on the internet is something that's truly needed in today's society. The mayor of Middletown tells NTD he's excited to welcome Ganjing World to the city. With this building here, this facility, the renovation that's been done sends a message to the community that Ganjing is serious about the investment in our community. This facility will bring hopefully up to about 200 jobs relocated from Texas and California. And it's a start, it's a, it's a, it's a big start for a, hopefully a technology push in and around the Middletown area. So uh, we're, we're very uh, confident that will happen, but at the same time we're very proud of what's been established here. The online platform can be accessed at ganjingworld.com.
0: And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.